0: Good morning and happy Monday. Welcome to the Bulwark podcast. Actually, it's a pretty special podcast today. As you know, we usually have Will Salatan on on Mondays. And don't worry, he'll be back with me tomorrow. So it'll be Will and Charlie Tuesday this week. But today we have a very special guest, Chef Jose Andres, who spoke with us from Ukraine, where he was helping to make meals for thousands of families in that war-torn country. And we're going to get to that in a moment. Rather extraordinary conversation on the fly. Uh, We recorded that on Friday. But we have to start with the day's news because it's Monday. Elon Musk looks like he's going to take over Twitter, which would really be a big deal if Twitter was actually real life. Okay, that's snarky. But I guess we will be talking about that a lot more later this week. We'll also be talking about yesterday's big elections in Europe, but especially the election in France, where President Emmanuel Macron was reelected Defeating the far right, Putin and Trump adjacent candidacy of Marine Le Pen. I, I worry about the French. Yeah, uh, yeah as, as I said, I worry about the French, but uh, they they got it right. Look, there's been a lot of I think rather tedious debate over whether the glass is half full or empty here you know is should we be alarmed by the fact that more than 40 percent of french voters voted for a fascist adjacent candidate? yeah yes but you know again i'm not sure that we americans have a lot to say about it since the french actually rejected the crazy well you might remember we actually did elect one and we might do it again but here's the key thing is is that macron got nearly 59 percent of the vote and by any measure That is a landslide. That is more than Ronald Reagan got in 1984. And it's especially impressive when you consider how deeply unpopular Macron is. I mean, I think he's got worse approval ratings than Joe Biden right now. And yet he got this uh, massive landslide win. It's also impressive, given the fact that much of the left in France sat out the race in sort of a, you know, Gallic sulk. But it's a huge win. And it's hard to overstate how big a deal it is. Huge win for NATO, for Europe, for Ukraine, and for liberal democracies. Uh, also, turns out the authoritarian wannabe government of Slovenia was also defeated by its centrist opponents. So, you know, after uh, a lot of concern that the uh, illiberal forces of Europe were in the ascendancy, that uh, liberal democracy was in retreat, uh, yesterday was a very, very good day for democracy. I also wanted to point out, if you are a subscriber to Bulwark Plus, my newsletter over the weekend talked about uh, what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida. And what triggered me was uh, a lot of the commentary from folks who are saying, well, this is an indication of the way that the Republican Party is becoming more populist, uh, more oriented toward the working class and anti-business. I think that that just massively misses the point because there's nothing working class that comes out of the attack on Disney. That piece of legislation will result in uh, potentially the loss of thousands of middle class jobs, uh, potentially huge increases in property taxes for surrounding uh, counties. In any case, you know, that's not the point. There was really no fundamentally important public policy issue at play in changing the tax status of Disney, which by the way, is not that unusual in Florida. There's more than a thousand of these independent tax districts. But again, that's not the point. The point is that what you're seeing from Ron DeSantis is the politics of revenge and retaliation. And just slapping labels like, well, this is more populist, completely misses the point. It's a, a complete reversal of what conservatives claimed to believe five minutes ago about free markets, private property, private corporations, free speech, all of that, that they are willing to use the power of the state as part of their own cancel culture. And again, you could say that that's populist because it's part of the culture war, but no working class individual will get a job or will see their pay rise as a result of this politics because that's completely beside the point. But enough of that. I want to talk about today's podcast. So last Friday, I had a chance to connect against all technical odds with Chef Jose Andres while he was driving toward Mariupol. And I have to tell you, I have no idea how this man does not win the Nobel Prize next year. And I'm serious about that. So when we come back, my conversation with Chef Jose in Ukraine. People say that puffiness and bags under the eyes are the hardest things to get rid of until now. Introducing Genucel Plant Stem Cell Therapy. Some studies show that plant stem cell therapy can help target eye puffiness and bags. Due to this new technology, Genucel is an incredibly powerful natural serum. And with its instant effects, it's guaranteed to show results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. That's right. Some users saw results in only 12 hours with dramatic improvement in two weeks. I have some friends who just rave about this. Genyacel contains eight extra ingredients and uses plant stem cell technology to help get longer lasting and brilliant results. So go to genyacel.com bulwark right now to try risk-free. Say goodbye to puffiness and bags today. Order right now with our special code bulwark to get an instant 10% off your order. Geniusel promises the best skincare, best results or your money back. Go to slash bulwark That's slash bulwark We all know World Central Kitchen. They've been to every disaster, every hotspot since the 2011 earthquake in Haiti. They've responded to hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, tsunamis, quarantine cruise ships and early voting lines in Georgia and Texas, where it sometimes took 11 hours to vote. And now they are in the biggest hotspot in the world, Ukraine and uh, neighboring countries flooded with refugees, Poland, Hungary, Romania and Slovakia, and we are very honored to be joined on today's podcast by chef Jose Andres, one of the world's most renowned restaurateurs. at one time known as a celebrity chef uh, on two continents, now known for his humanitarian efforts, and he joins us from Ukraine. Chef, thank you for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Tell me where you are and what's happening there right now.
1: Well, um, I am driving south east from Kiev. I'm on my way to uh, Dnipro. Uh, actually, on my way to Saporizia, south of Dnipro, trying to get close to what is uh, Mariupol, where we're going to check our operations there to keep uh, taking care of the many civilians that they are trying to live the horrors of this war. And in the process, I am in a beautiful farm land area uh, where you can see the farmers working very, very, very hard in making sure that this uh, summer, they will have a successful harvest where not only Ukraine needs it, but also the rest of the world, if we wanna keep feeding the world we are on our way to a seed factory, which this is the mission within the mission, to connect with these seeds producers, to make sure that World Central Kitchen we help to distribute sunflower seeds, corn, and others to the farmers that maybe still are not being able to get the, enough seeds to make sure that every inch of Ukraine that is not at war that can be farmed.
0: So let me ask you this, you know, since the day after the invasion, you have been serving meals to thousands of families leaving Ukraine and people remaining in the country. How do you move so fast? How do you do this? I'm just trying to get some sense of your operation. How were you on the spot so quickly?
1: Well, I mean, quite frankly, I I would love to tell you that it's a very difficult thing to do, but actually it's not let me tell you, I mean, my idea always with Wall Central Kitchen was to untackle the power of the food restaurant community in America and around the world. In my brain, in my mind, Wall Central Kitchen is the biggest organization ever created in the history, because in my mind, every restaurant is part of our network. Every food warehouse is part of our network. Every farmer. Every fisherman is part of our network. The people that are in the food business, they are part of our network. What happens is that they don't know it yet, but when something happens, we bring everybody together. Right now, we have more than 400 restaurants uh, in our network, vast majority of them in Ukraine. We are across eight countries We are in every single border crossing inside Ukraine and in the receiving country for the refugees living with 24-7 hours cafe, giving hot tea and hot uh, coffee and hot food and baby food and even places when the temperatures uh, over almost 60 days ago were under freezing temperatures, minus 10, 15 Celsius degrees We are distributing food by road, by track, by train, by plane coming from Spain to bring things we don't have uh, nearby in Poland. At the end, the only thing we do is we untap the potential of the food community to take care of a problem. That problem for us becomes an opportunity to serve over 300,000 meals a day in more than 2,000 distribution points of distributions where we bring hot food. Or we bring bags of food for a family, the ones that can feed themselves and cook on their own. Or bring in pots and knives where we see some communities in buildings that because they cannot cook inside because lack of electricity and gas, they do these kind of made up kitchens in front of every building and for them, cooking becomes not only feeding themselves physically, but also it becomes feeding themselves within the soul. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Quite frankly, we have boots on the ground. It's not World Central Kitchen helping feed Ukraine. are Ukrainians feeding Ukrainians, we come here to be next to them, to empower them, to bring the experience we have. But at the end, they are the ones living we are used next to them, making sure that this unfolds in in this positive, powerful way.
0: So you are in a car headed toward Mariupol. How close do you think that you will get?
1: Well, uh, we're gonna get for sure uh, down to Saporizhia, where where this is uh, south of Dnipro, which is the second, third biggest city in Ukraine, in the central eastern part uh, of Ukraine and obviously we've been feeding people there when they are able slowly but surely not only living Mariupol, but exiting other parts of Donbass, we need to remember that probably more than 70% of the people that live in that region has left uh, the horrors of the war. But still, a lot of people remain, some of them because they don't have the means or because they are very old and don't find a way to escape the horrors of the war and they stay behind. But obviously, the images and what we hear about Mariupol is really devastating. I was yeah. in Bucha on April first. We saw within hours of uh, Bucha being retaken by the Ukrainian troops, and the images that you find, especially how people they've been more than 30 days without food, or even even worried that if they left their home to try to get a piece of bread to feed their children, they will be shot in the head very often. So. Um, we cannot go in Mariupol. Every time Is a humanitarian uh, corridor, every time is kind of a ceasefire. As soon as anything happens, we see the Russian troops began shelling buses full of children, full of women, full of elderly that makes going into Mariupol very much mission uh, impossible. But we do what we can. We are positioned there. If that corridor is open, I'm sure we'll try to bring food to the people if, if it's safe for, for all of our teams. But at least we can be right there in Saporizia as the buses leave, as the people leave to be there with food, at least to cover the initial needs.
0: So I I saw some of the videos of you entering Bucha. What did you see there? We see the images on television, which are horrific and very difficult to see. But my guess is that we don't see everything. So what was that like for you to go in with a humanitarian mission into a place that really had become hell on earth?
1: Yeah, um, listen, the images speak for themselves and and you have many, many correspondents of radio and TV that they've been reporting about that. What I want to be reporting is about the will of the Ukrainian people. Um, This is a country that they are all one. People that will tell me, I didn't vote for Zelensky, but right now he is my leader. Right now we are all Ukrainians and every single person is finding a reason to serve their country. Obviously the people defending in the front lines their country, but everybody behind there, they are finding a mission on their own. Maybe volunteering with a a small local group, maybe with a bigger charity, maybe volunteering with us, maybe volunteering in the local hospital, maybe singing and playing music in the train stations. It's everybody is finding a reason to do something. And this is the beauty that we need to describe. In this darkest mm-hmm. hour of Ukraine, at the end, the darkest hour of, of humanity, fortunately, the best of humanity seems always to show up in the worst moments of humanity. Mm. And at the very least, this is brings a little a smile in your face, even understanding the horrors that a lot of people are going through in this moment.
0: So last Saturday, on April 16th, a Russian missile destroyed a restaurant in Kharkiv that had been partnering with you with the World Central Kitchen, wounding four of the restaurant staff. But my understanding is is that by Monday, only two days later, the restaurant staff members began cooking again in another location. So your operation is not easily discouraged, is it?
1: Well... What are we going to (laughs) do? These Ukrainians are going to be doing it on their own with us or without us. With us, we bring, obviously, the goodwill of American people that support our organization. Now we have people that support us from around the world. We are here next to them, and we are here making sure that Restaurants that were already doing something were able to increase the output of food they produce every day. We're able to help with logistics, making sure we bring food that sometimes is becoming sometimes very hard to get. We are bringing trains in and this we're in trains in many cities all across Ukraine. We're bringing tracks in. What you saw with that restaurant is fascinating because our partner, the owner, he asked all his team, what do you want to do? And everybody, they didn't hesitate within five seconds to say, we want to keep cooking. I always say that we are food fighters. They are food fighters. The four wounded came already a few days ago out of the hospital, and one of the person, a very brave woman, which I forgot uh, her name, she was in the kitchen, front and center, cooking. This is the spirit of the Ukrainian people. This is the spirit that you sense here every corner. I'm sure, we are gonna be next to them. It's no other way. So you're partnering with
0: restaurants in hundreds of locations in 12 different Ukrainian cities, as well as sites that are receiving refugees in Hungary, Poland, Romania, and Slovakia. Are you getting everything that you need? Is there enough food right now? Is there more that we should be doing to help you do what you are doing in Ukraine?
1: Listen, is no one answer that explains the situation all across Ukraine. In Kyiv, that already the entire oblast, the region, was liberated already a couple of weeks ago. Restaurants are coming back to life. Some markets are coming back to life. You start seeing farmers markets in some places that maybe a traditional supermarket has not opened yet, because remember, it's more than four or five million refugees. Also, it's many more million that they are displaced within Ukraine. So it's not like you can go and open a supermarket tomorrow. But distribution of different goods, from medicines, from food, keeps coming. You see trucks coming. You see them crossing not only the Polish border but all other borders. It's a lot of trucking in and out. In our case, we make sure that you know we raise up in those moments. We embrace the complexity. When there is mayhem, is when we have the opportunity to serve, and we are always able to make the best of every situation. Um, and then the, I told you the situation in Kiev, but still in Kiev, obviously, why are we operating there? Well, because it's a lot of refugees, that they are in different parts. Why are we in Lviv? Because it's a lot of refugees. We need to be helping in many of those shelters. We are feeding in more than 680, 700. You mentioned 12 cities. Right now, we are in 90-plus cities mm-hmm. inside Ukraine alone. We have more than 2,150 distribution points every single day. We have a very good overview of what's going on. In some places, we have to bring hot meals because it's the right thing to do. Other places, some rural towns, we're able to bring them 25 pound bags for a family of four that allows them to cook three, four, four days. But the good thing about us is that we don't show up one day for the photo. We show up every four or five days. People know that they can rely on us, that they can rely on Ball Central Kitchen. We create systems that allow us to keep bringing, to keep delivering, to make sure that we keep covering the needs from the present we live in until electricity comes back, especially in the cities and towns and villages that they were occupied during many weeks by the Russians. For example, we have a very good game north of Kyiv, where we've been moving almost all the way to the border, covering every city, many of them little towns, where it's still, as I told you, the markets aren't open, the supermarkets aren't open, bridges are destroyed. It's not easy to be moving goods, but I tell you, we feel like we excel and we do our best where the challenges are bigger because for others, a problem stops them. For us, a problem gives us the will to overcome the problem, and again, We deliver food in any way or form. We have more than 12 warehouses, probably a few more by now, inside Ukraine that we keep filling them up continuously. And from those warehouses, we keep delivering to the restaurants that may be needing some ingredients when they cannot get them on their own. Or is where we make these very 25-pound bags that we deliver family to family. You see, the game continues. It's making sure that we don't stop the flow of food. I'm trying to figure out what
0: makes you tick. Going back, do you remember, was there any moment back a decade or two decades ago when you said, I need to go, I need to do this? You had a successful life, you had a comfortable life, you had pretty much everything that one would expect from a successful restaurateur, and yet you decided to go to Haiti. You made this your life, hurricanes, tornadoes, you've gone into these various places. Why do you do it, Chef?
1: Well, why not?
0: I mean... (laughs) Because it's, da- because it's oh, my, dangerous I've... and it's hard. What drives you to do
1: this? My God, <laughs> we, we have a wall full of people that give speeches and clap of big organizations that represent humanity that give big speeches. And then sometimes they seem the speech is all they have to give and they don't show up with boots on the ground next to the people that need help. I decided that I'm going to learn. And the only way to learn is being in these moments. Uh, I say that we are still a very young organization, but we are gaining experience. But still, every time we go, we learn. We learn how to serve. Why do I do it? I am who I am thanks to the numerous people that sometimes their names I even forgot that made me who I am. All we are who we are, thank you to all the people that gave themselves to us I've been watching how food can be an agent of change. When I was 23 and I joined DC Central Kitchen, this soup kitchen in Washington DC that doesn't only feed the people in need, but trains and empowers homeless and ex-combits and trains them to then become cooks that then find jobs in the restaurant community, buying from local farmers or buying food that is about to be wasted, but food in perfect condition that then we transform it into meals to keep feeding the people in need. One dollar is multiplied by four. You create jobs, you fight food waste, you take care of the hungry, and you train future cooks to join the DNA of the city by working one restaurant at a time. I saw the power of food. The founder of This is Central Kitchen told me that philanthropy seems has been always about the redemption of the giver. When he said, actually, everybody got it wrong, philanthropy must be about the liberation of the receiver. Hmm. Sometimes I feel like we are like a band aid, but you don't heal if you don't take care of yourself, and sometimes you heal with a little band aid. Why I'm here because my mom was a nurse, my father was a nurse. I remember them sending me very young to kind of learn in, in their local Red Cross chapter how to do CPR or, or, or whatever uh, things that you can learn that one day you could save a life or you can take care of others. Uh, I saw my father always feeding everybody in his day off when he will invite. Friends and family and people he didn't know. And uh, my father always told me that if more people came, the problem was very simple solution. Just you add more rice to the pot, and everybody will have a <laughs> plate of food. Uh, my restaurant in 1993 was open across the street from a place that almost nobody visits: the house of Clara Barton, the Missing Soldiers Office. That woman, the single-handed, almost a nurse like my mom was able to put together this amazing system to find what happened to the people that perished, the soldiers that perished in the Civil War and giving some clothing to their families. The same woman that single-handed brought food to the Capitol when the Capitol was under attack. The single woman that created the American Red Cross. You see, sometimes it doesn't take much. It takes, in our case, to find the kitchen, find the helpers, start cooking, and start delivering. And every problem always becomes an opportunity to serve. A problem should never become something like a stop you, but that problem, embracing the complexities of the moment, must be what empowers you to find a solution to overcome that problem and then start helping people. Why do I do it? Because I saw Katrina. I saw what happened in the Superdome and I was in the comfort of my home. And I thought, my God, how nobody can go there with a very big foot track Activate the restaurants inside, find some volunteers that are staying in the Superdome, escaping the horrors of Lo Nine and what happened in New Orleans after Katrina, and just start cooking. Everybody had it wrong. A stadium, an arena, is not a place you go for music and sports. It's a gigantic restaurant that entertains with the sports and musicians. <laughs> then, for me, I had to. Answer When Haiti happened, I was in the Cayman Islands with my friend, Robert Edgar, my friend, Chef Eric Rippert and Anthony Bourdain. And I remember right there telling them, man, I think I'm going to go to Haiti. Why? Because I don't want to watch again on TV while I'm sipping a margarita. And within a few weeks after I went back to Washington and I was able to clear my schedule from my duties in my restaurant, I went to Haiti. Yes, I was cooking. Yes, I was doing a few thousand meals here and there. But I began learning how chefs like me, we could help. When you have a fire, you send firefighters. When you need to be rescuing people under the rubble, you send the rescue emergency services. When you need to fix breaches and destroy buildings, you send engineers and architects. Well, my friend, when you have to feed people, who do you think is the most capable and prepared (laughs) people to feed people in need? Cooks like me, that's why this organization exists.
0: This is so moving and so inspiring, Chef. How can people help? Is there some way that our
1: listeners can help World Central Kitchen today? Well, there's many ways to help. Uh, Everybody, sometimes we got a lot of Americans that on their own, came to Poland and they join us in one of the kitchens we have, which is the kitchen we created that can do up to a quarter million meals a day. Even again, we love to partner with the 400 restaurants we have. And many of these Americans, some of them top chefs in America, just came as one more volunteer to help us produce the many tens of thousands of meals that were helping us feed the people crossing the border uh, in Poland. Obviously, donations always work. We are 100% supported by donors. Many of them are $25 and under. Mm -hmm. Um, We are beloved by many because they see we are people of action and they see that we are not claiming what we will do. We don't claim the warehouses we have full. We are showing people in real time from the first hours of an emergency how we are able to start feeding everybody. And obviously there's many other ways to help. What we see here happening is one person, one man, that for some reason is creating this crazy mayhem, not only in Ukraine, but on planet earth. How do we allow a man in power like him? Why everybody can help? Because it's okay to be Republican. It's okay to be Democrat. It's okay to lean right. It's okay to lean left. It's okay to have different opinions about everything. But we all must believe that we must do so respecting each other, wishing others the same we wish for ourselves building longer tables and not higher walls. You see, that's how everybody can help, to make sure that we embrace leaders that brings the best angels within us, not our worst demons. And that the people that don't think like you, they are not your enemy, but they are people that maybe can open up your mind to other ways to do things. Nobody has the total truth about how to create the perfect society, the perfect country. Because if there is such a perfect leader, please tell me what it is, because I want to join him. (laughs) We will only do this when everybody contributes, when everybody joins, when everybody respects each other. And when we, the people, the three words that create the fundamentals of what America is, when everybody believes in sharing that table, even with people they don't know, longer tables, no higher walls, This is how everybody can help make sure we don't build more Putins in the world, make sure we don't put more leaders in power that are making us hate each other versus making sure that we love each other.
0: Chef Jose Andres, thank you so much for joining me today and for all of the things that you do. You are a genuinely great and heroic man. And it's really been an honor to speak with you today.
1: Uh, Thank you for the opportunity and let's all not only pray for Ukraine, but making sure that we are all supporting the people that are fighting for liberty, for freedom and for democracy on behalf of all of us.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening today. But before we sign off, do you hate hearing ads on the podcast? Because I have a solution for you. Join Bulwark Plus, where members enjoy ad-free editions of this show and all the podcasts in our Bulwark network, like Beg to Differ with Mona Charon and The Focus Group with Sarah Longwell. There's also the member-only podcast, The Secret Show, and The Next Level with Tim Miller. You can give a Bulwark Plus membership a try for the next 30 days for free. Simply go to com slash Charlie to claim your free trial today. This offer is exclusively for listeners of this podcast, The Bulwark Podcast. That is com slash Charlie. The Bulwark Podcast is produced by Katie Cooper with audio production by Jonathan Seary. I'm Charlie Sykes. Thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast, and we'll be back tomorrow. We'll do this all over again.